The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Madeline Hewitt. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD, and we are all on the show today, and we're happy to be here. Our topic is on vegetables, one of everybody's favorite topics, and we know that everyone out there already knows that vegetables are good for you, right? That's Usually people don't debate that kind of an idea, but if somebody asked you to tell, to tell them why is it important to eat vegetables? What is so good about vegetables? Do, could you answer that person? And what exactly would you tell them? And if you answered this answer, well, I think you should eat vegetables because they're low in calories. That's actually not the reason. So you would uh, lose on that one. But it's interesting that something that's so good for us is the same thing that so many people don't like. Have you ever, ever wondered about that? I mean, if you say we all know that we should be eating vegetables and we all have heard that they're really healthy for us, well, then I wonder why so many people just don't really like them. And why would that be? Well, in fact, your DNA are not programmed to keep you living a very long life, which sounds very, very odd, but it ends up that that is true. And when we talk about DNA, we know that you're born with your own DNA, and that DNA, it will give you a set of tendencies, and maybe a tendency towards liver trouble, or maybe your DNA is giving you a tendency towards breast cancer, or maybe towards storing fat, or maybe your DNA has a tendency that you're going to be a very thin person. And those tendencies on your DNA do not change. However, the genes on your DNA can either be expressed or not expressed. And it's your lifestyle that determines if those genes will be expressed. And by lifestyle, what I'm talking about is that means, that means that the foods that you're eating and what you're drinking, how you spend your time. And so how you spend your time, maybe how you're working, how you're not working, if you have hobbies, if you're enjoying yourself, if you're stressed out all the time. That's what I mean about how you're spending your time. Um, Including your thoughts and your emotions, all of those different choices that you have, that you have the power to change those choices. And that's going to determine how your genes are expressed. And in fact, with quantum physics, if you study quantum physics at all, that um, quantum physics teaches us that change happens by simply putting attention to it. 
And that we're not going to get all into quantum physics, but it tells us that if, once there's a tension on something, that item actually changes. So that could be your DNA, that could be your genes, that could be um, your thoughts, it could be um, a chair that's sitting there. Anything that you put attention on, it has that ability to change. And this is all very good news as it tells us that we're actually not victim of our DNA and a victim of our genetics. And I hear that a lot from people and that when we're discussing various things such as uh, high cholesterol or maybe heart disease and people will say, well, no, I, I, ha- I have to eat low fat because I have, it's genetic. I have high cholesterol and, and it's genetic. And I think, um, you know, that, that ends up putting people somewhat in a box where it almost feels like you're a victim, that there's no way out of that box. And so we want to start to be able to think in a little bit of a different way in that, of course, we have our DNA, but there's all those genes kind of like stop and go lights, maybe like red lights and green lights that can be turned on and turned off on all of these different choices that we have in how we live our lives and our lifestyle. And that includes what we're eating. So you could think that maybe 10% of what happens to you is because of genetics. And the other 90% is how you've chosen to live your life and live your lifestyle. And so this brings us back to vegetables. Your DNA actually does not like vegetables. And your DNA wants to express all the genes. So if you have genes for breast cancer, they actually want to be expressed. And vegetables can actually suppress the unhealthy gene expression. So this can get to be quite an interesting topic. And I'm just going to point out that there's a great book that I'm going to recommend. And it goes into these concepts in much more depth. And the name of the book is called Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution. So I'll just say it again, Dr. Gundry, and Gundry is G-U-N-D-R-Y, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution by Dr. Stephen Gundry. And it's quite fascinating as he talks all about this expressing and suppressing of genes by the diet we eat. And he talks about the messages that food sends to your DNA. I highly recommend the book. It's easy to read and it's easy to understand and anyone can implement these concepts. And I just want to point out, just because the name of the book is Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution, it sounds like it's like a diet book. But, you know, he's really just talking about food evolution, um, talks a lot about vegetables and fruits and talks about various animals and um and what happened thousands of years ago, I think you're going to really find this quite fascinating. And it's information that you don't just run along every day. But coming back to vegetables, um, this may be one big reason why so many people don't like vegetables because actually your DNA doesn't really like the vegetables. And I know that this sounds opposite, 
because you say, well, doesn't your body like vegetables because they're healthy? Well, I'm talking about your DNA here. And so to get more into that, you read into that book and you'll get more information on it. But that could be one reason that people actually don't like like the vegetables. Um, of course, there could be a lot of other reasons why people don't like vegetables. And social reasons. And one of those could be if you were raised as a child and forced to eat vegetables when you didn't like them. And I know that my mother talks about this. She is in her 80s now and she still remembers when she was a little girl and her parents just made her sit at the table until she finished her peas. But she said if she put the pea in her mouth, it would just make her gag. And so she had to sit at the table even for hours until she finished those. So an experience like that would probably make somebody not like vegetables as they grow older. And I think that a lot of people have had experiences such as this. So that certainly contributes. Now, another big reason is if vegetables are cooked or prepared in unappetizing ways. So think canned green beans. Who out there enjoys canned green beans? Maybe there's somebody, but most people don't really enjoy those. And the color of them's not appealing. They're mushy. They're filled with salt. Um, and even plain steamed vegetables, even if you steam the vegetables real nice and they're still crisp and they look beautiful, the, those actually aren't appealing to most people if there's no fats or oils on them and if there's no seasonings at all. And now another reason that somebody might not like vegetables is because if they have been eating a poor diet for many years and developing an acidic body system. Now, once your body is very acidic, often vegetables and other alkalinizing foods are not appealing to those people. But the good news is that once you start to get rid of a lot of that extra acid, your body then starts to want the vegetables and they start tasting good to you and you find that your taste buds actually start to change. Now, while we're talking about acid, let's discuss one of the most important reasons for eating vegetables and that would be to buffer this excess acid. So we'll just back up for just a moment here and talk about that in the course of a day, our bodies make a lot of acid just from the process of metabolism. So what that means just in regular terms is that just whatever your body has to do when you eat food and then the food gets all broken down and you absorb the food and maybe it goes into your liver and then it's going to go out into your bloodstream, all of these kinds of things would be called metabolism. And through your body running through that whole process, that process makes a lot of acid in your system. And it might sound like that's really a terrible thing, except that your body is designed to get rid of this acid daily through its organs of elimination. So it has a built-in system that we really shouldn't have to be thinking about. And so what that system is is, If you're drinking plenty of water and if you look at your pee, when you go pee, look at the color of it and it should be either clear or real light yellow. And if if you're peeing throughout the day and drinking plenty of water, that's going to help you get rid of a lot of that excess acid. And so you know that if your pee is really, really strong smelling and it's dark yellow or almost orange, that's a sign right there that you're not drinking enough water. You're going to want to Uh, increase your water drinking for the purpose of helping your body get rid of that excess acid. 
Now, another way to get rid of excess acid is to poop at least once a day. And better yet, two or three times a day is going to be even better as when you're pooping enough, that's also helping your body to get rid of that excess acid. Another way is from sweating from exercise or sweating if you do an infrared sauna or any type of anything where you're sweating. That's helping your body to get rid of acid. If you're moving in your day, not just sitting on the couch or sitting in your office or sitting in the car, if you're moving, you're helping your lymph move in your body and get rid of excess acid. And then the last one is your liver. If your liver's not congested, if it's working well, then you're getting rid of excess acid. And so it's really, really wonderful and great that we already have these built-in mechanisms to get rid of this excess acid. But unfortunately, many people don't drink enough water. And many people deal with constipation, many people don't exercise or move enough, and many people deal with congested livers. So they're not getting rid of that excess acid on a daily basis, and that acid starts to build up. So it's real important to put attention on getting those systems working for you just for the reason of being able to eliminate that excess acid. Now, the other part of this acid puzzle is the ability to buffer excess acid by eating alkalinizing foods such as vegetables. So vegetables is our topic for today. So here's where vegetables come into the picture. The vegetables help to lower the acidity of your system. And by system, and so this other piece of the puzzle is the ability of the vegetables to buffer this excess acid. And so when I'm talking about the the excess acid in your system is going to be in your bloodstream, as opposed to we're not talking here about the acidity of the outside of your skin, and we're not talking about the, the acidity of your urine or your saliva. We're talking really here about the acidity of your blood. And it's important to remember that your blood must maintain a very, very narrow pH in order for you to stay alive. And if your blood starts moving towards the acid end of the spectrum, your body pulls minerals out of your bones. Because remember, your bones are made all of minerals and not just calcium, but magnesium and strontium and many, many, many other minerals. And so your body's pulling these minerals out of your bones in order to buffer this excess acid that your body was not able to get rid of in the first place. And when it pulls the excess minerals or pulls the minerals out of your bones, it's, your body is successful now in keeping your blood pH in this range where you don't die. Now, that's important to note that it's in a, it, I didn't say it keeps it in an optimal range. I said it keeps it in a range where you don't die. And so even though it's a narrow range of pH that your blood should be in, it still is a range. And then these people will usually be operating at the more acid end of that little tiny range, which actually is not optimal for your health. You really want it to be in that mid-range or even in the upper range of that optimal pH. But the good thing is at least when you leach these minerals out of your bones, you're not going to die. So your body has these great built-in mechanisms to keep you alive. So we're glad for that. Now, you can see here, though, that stealing minerals from your bones would not be a real good choice if you want to have good, healthy, strong bones. 
And it'd be such a better idea to provide those minerals from your diet instead of your bones, don't you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. One big thing that vegetables have to offer us is minerals, and it's the minerals that are in the vegetables that buffer this acid. And to get the highest mineral content, you're going to want to choose organic vegetables grown in as fertile of soil as possible. And that might even mean growing your own vegetables. Now, fiber is going to be another important aspect of vegetables. And vegetables have two kinds of this fiber, both the soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. And we need both in our bodies. And these types of fiber help us with colon health. Some of these types of fiber are actually healing to your gut lining, while the other types of fiber, they act kind of like a broom to keep you pooping and to keep the colon contents moving on through. And another great thing that vegetables have to offer us is they have this amazing ability to suppress or turn off genes that cause disease. And it's such a different way of looking at food. And we really, really can start to see food as medicine. And we can see that every food choice that we make has the ability to either improve our health and add something positive to our lives, or the food has the ability to destroy our health. And even if it's just a small destruction, like you might think, well, a little bit can't hurt, or it's just this one time. But those small destructions done over and over and over for years leads to disease or even death. So one of the biggest ways that uh, vegetables provide us food as medicine, um, where vegetables are like medicine, is the phytonutrient content. And vegetables are one of the largest sources of phytonutrients. And phytonutrients it are plant chemicals. You might also hear them as phytochemicals. And these plant chemicals are present within the plant primarily to protect the plant from bugs, fungi, and other threats. So that's why these chemicals are even there in the plants in the first place. So that's really an important aspect, I think, Lucy, because that, that the plants are actually, they already have this protection inside the plant. It was already planned that way. And one of the things that happens when you genetically modify these, these foods and these plants and these vegetables is that they don't really need to have those phytonutrients anymore because they're filled up with, they've been actually genetically changed to withstand drought and bad conditions. And so they actually have less of the phytonutrients. Yeah, absolutely. Let's continue talking about this after our break. We're taking callers. We want to hear your questions and comments. We'll be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
Cancer is not something to be taken lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie. And for all of those of you who are listening to the replay, send us an email with your questions or comments. Or you can post on Facebook and we'll answer your questions during the next show. So before the break, we were talking about phytonutrients. Yeah, and the phytonutrients that are... uh, uh alive and well in these plants, they really are there to protect the plant from drought and from bugs and all kinds of these other threats. And so that they're built in there for protection for the plant. And so when you start using things like pesticides on the plant, or even if you're going to be using uh, fertilizer or genetically modifying the plant, it actually, the plant doesn't really have a lot of use for phytonutrients anymore. And so that, so what we really want to do is eat foods that are as close to nature as possible and haven't been altered through genetic modification and they haven't been altered through excess fertilizer, especially um, non-organic type of fertilizers or the use of pesticides because it does alter the phytonutrients. Yes, absolutely. And what we really want to know is that these phytonutrients have a huge benefit for our health, for human health. Um, And there are actually more than 25,000 different phytonutrients found in plant foods. So phytonutrients are mainly found in vegetables, but they're also found in other plant foods. And each one of these different plant chemicals promotes health in a different way. So how does this happen? At the beginning of the show, Jeannie was talking about how our DNA... We're born with this DNA that gives us a set of tendencies. And vegetables are actually what turn on the genes that promote health and turn off the genes that promote disease or illness. And specifically in those vegetables, it's the phytonutrients that do that. 
Yeah, and something here, I was talking about that book before by Stephen Gundry, and he, what he says is that we're actually programmed to die. And I know that might sound morbid and really negative, but he says that we are. We're, we're human beings and, and animals. We are programmed to die. And so that's why when Lucy's mentioning that these phytonutrients turn on health-promoting genes and turn off disease-promoting genes, that's why your DNA actually don't like vegetables, because vegetables are not leading you towards an early death. Mm -hmm. Interesting, huh? It is really interesting. And it's also interesting to know, and hopefully it's empowering to know, that by your lifestyle and by something as simple as just eating vegetables, you can change the state of your health. Now, That's it's very empowering. It is. Yeah, because we do hear often that people people feel like they can't change their fate. But now mm-hmm. we see that we can. And really the more variety of plants that we get, the more variety of the phytonutrients that we get, the more health promoting genes are going to be expressed. So that means the more variety of vegetables that we eat, the healthier and healthier that we're going to be. And actually, there was a report in 2009 that showed that about 8 out of 10 Americans have what they call a phytonutrient gap. So that means that most of us don't get enough, or maybe we don't even get any, of all those different phytonutrients available to us. Because, why? Because we're not eating a variety of colors. Yeah, that's a good point, because sometimes people are only eating green vegetables. Mm-hmm. And especially here in the United States, uh, we have a very small range of vegetables that most of us eat and really a small range of foods that in general that we eat. Mm-hmm, like so, potatoes. Yep, potatoes and tomatoes and lettuce and maybe mm-hmm. that's it there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but we know that there's tons and tons of different vegetables that we can be eating and the different colors of vegetables signals what type of phytonutrients are present. Each one promoting a different message. So the more different colored vegetables we consume on a regular basis, the more health-protecting qualities we receive from our food. So what color vegetables are there? There's red, and there's orange, and yellow, green, blue, and purple, and there's white, and there's even black vegetables. Mm -hmm. So let's go through what some of these different phytonutrients you might find in these different colors. So red vegetables, the phytonutrients in those might be lycopene, or capsanthin, so you hear about peppers containing this chemical called capsanthin, and these phytonutrients promote healthy heart and circulation, and they also promote urinary tract health and memory function. So when we eat red foods, we're protecting the health, and we can actually have a better memory. And foods that are red would be tomatoes, but as well as red peppers and radishes and cabbage. Orange and yellow vegetables contain beta-carotene and beta-cryptoxanthin. That's a long word there. <laughs> Cryptoxanthin? 
Oh, there we go. Beta cryptoxanthin. So, and you don't necessarily have to know what all of these different phytonutrients are. This is just for those of you who like to know some examples of them. But other people can know you just want a variety. So in the orange and the yellow vegetables, you get vision health, a healthy immune system, and healthy bone and teeth. And then also these vegetables protect against cancer. And really all of the different colors have in some way or another cancer protecting qualities. So that's another way to get uh, to have all the different vegetables to protect against cancer. So what would be orange and yellow vegetables? Carrots, we all know about those. But orange peppers, lemons, that's a fruit. But that would be a good one to add to our diet on a regular basis basis, yellow squash, yellow peppers, and pumpkin. And green vegetables. Most of us know what types of vegetables are green vegetables, but the green vegetables contain chlorophyll and lutein, and these promote vision health. So you can avoid cataracts with the green vegetables, and you also receive strong bones and strong teeth. So some examples would be kale, spinach, collard greens, zucchini, Swiss chard, all of those leafy vegetables. Now, there's another specific class of green vegetables, and that's the cruciferous vegetables. And cruciferous vegetables is just a classification of that plant. And these ones contain this component called indo-3-carbonyl, or I3C, which is a powerful protector against specific types of cancers like breast and prostate cancer. And how this indole-3-carbonyl works is that it helps your liver to metabolize estrogens and protects you against these hormone-related cancers. So cruciferous vegetables would be the broccoli and cauliflower, kale, cabbage, turnips, and there are some other more unusual ones, like watercress would actually be one. Brussels sprouts. Yep, Brussels sprouts. Arugula. Arugula. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think um, horseradish. Yes, yeah, we were surprised to find that. Maca. Yep, mm-hmm. maca roots, and in the Thin Mint recipes, that maca powder would be an option so you could add that to your thin mints um, to get more of the cruciferous so that's one to definitely be loading up not only to get the green specifically but definitely go for lots of the cruciferous vegetables every day then the blue and purple vegetables. Now, these are really important to be getting. They, well, those are the fun ones. Yeah, they are. And they're also more of the unusual ones. So it's a little harder for most people if you're just thinking of normal vegetables to find these. But the purple and blue vegetables contain anthocyanins, quercetin, and phenolics. And quercetin helps with your immune system. And overall, these vegetables are going to help with healthy aging. So it actually slows down your aging and it'll help you age gracefully. And it helps with urinary tract health, memory function, heart health, and cancer and diabetes prevention. 
And some of these purple and blue vegetables would be eggplant and purple cabbage and berries. like Blueberries. Yeah, there's the blueberries. <laughs> white vegetables. Uh, white foods have allicin and favanol. Favanol, there we go. Allicin and favanol. And these protect against your heart health and healthy cholesterol levels. So it helps to decrease your blood pressure, helps with um, your triglyceride levels and HDL and LDL levels. And you would find examples of white vegetables in garlic and onions, leeks, scallions, and I know scallions look green, but that would be a classification here, chives, and then cauliflower. That's a good white vegetable. So now when we're talking about white vegetables, that's a good list to be aiming for, but we also often think of potatoes being a white vegetable. That one wouldn't be quite as heart healthy as garlics and onions and cauliflower would be. What about jicama? Jicama, yeah, that's a good one to add to the list. Mm-hmm. And then there's black vegetables. So what would those be? Some examples, or we could also say that they're tan, black or tan. That would be like flax seeds, um, which aren't necessarily vegetables, but that would be another superfood to be getting, or sesame seeds. So, and like I said before, most all of these different phytonutrients help to prevent cancer in one way or another. How about black chia seeds? Yes, those would be as well. And there's different varieties of chia seeds. So there's there's yellower ones and lighter colored ones and black ones. And each different color chia seed has a different type of phytonutrient and helps your health (laughs) in a different way. And blackberries? Mm-hmm. Yep, those would have the anthocyanins and the quercetin in there. So, and today we're mainly talking about vegetables, but fruits also have phytonutrients in them. Um, but we do promote, most people get most of their nutrients from the vegetables, especially if you're working to decrease your insulin levels. So, and now most people think, how am I going to be getting all of these different colors into my diet on a regular basis? And first of all, what does that mean, regular basis? It differs between the person. So you might aim to get every single color of the rainbow every single day. Or maybe you decide this week, I'm really going to focus on getting more of the orange vegetables. And then next week, more of the white vegetables. So it's up to you what you decide. But a good way to have a variety is in a salad. So you could have a salad with all of those green leafy vegetables, spinach, and lettuce, and the, what else, the arugula, those would be the green ones. Pea pods would be green ones. And then you add in some red peppers and maybe some red tomatoes. And then for the orange, you have some carrots and maybe a little bit of yellow squash and yellow peppers for the yellow color. And then you add in some of those cruciferous vegetables, so some raw cauliflower. So that would be cruciferous. And there's your white vegetables. And then you add some jicama, and that's some more white vegetables. And then we need the blue and the purple. So maybe some raw purple cabbage, and then a small sprinkling of blueberries. And there you go. In one meal, you had all of those different colors. 
Madeline, do you have all the different colors every day? Oh, well, maybe not every single day, but I do make an effort to get a variety of types of vegetables into my diet. Um, but today for lunch, I actually did have a salad and I had, uh, I think only two of the categories in there. I think I had, well, what would sprouts be? Are sprouts white or green? Those could be both. I guess I would call them more of a white one. Okay. Well, then I had three. So I had, I had some romaine lettuce for the green and I had yellow bell peppers and, uh, sprouts. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah, that made a really good salad. But oftentimes I'll actually put a whole lot more into my salad if I have more there. Like um, I have no idea if olives are are olives a vegetable or those a fruit. Oh, that would be a fruit. But oh well, I oftentimes put green or black olives into my salad, and maybe some green snap peas and all different types of greens. Like sometimes I'll do spinach, sometimes I'll do kale, sometimes I'll do a variety, um, sometimes. Throwing in some chopped up cabbage in there is really good. That's a great way to get the red cabbage. Uh, Jeannie, what else do you normally, I know you have a lot of salads. What else do you normally put in those? Well, I have a new salad that I came up with. It, it might not be new for other people, but for me, I've been making this chopped salad. And um, normally on my salads, I put only olive oil. But I came up with this other dressing where you just get out a bowl and take about a half of an avocado, nice and ripe, and mash the avocado up. And then I put some olive oil in there and mash all of that together. And then I put in some um, mustard, not like that prepared real bright yellow mustard, but kind of a little bit more natural-looking mustard, and some horseradish in there and mash all of that together and get it just the kind of the, the texture that I want it to be for the dressing and so in that there was some mustard and that that's some sort of vegetable maybe that would be counted as yellow or brown something like that and then there's the horseradish which is a cruciferous vegetable and an avocado being a fruit is in there I use that on a chopped salad and in the chopped salad I take the purple cabbage and chop that up real fine and then about equal amounts with romaine and chop that up and then I, I like to put a asparagus in mine and a little tiny chopped up asparagus and then little tiny chopped up red pepper. I like the red, the orange and the yellow peppers. I think I just love the colors from them. And so I end up having red, orange and yellow and then there's purple, there's white and there's green. Um, That's and then I put that dressing on there. And there are other vegetables I've put in there, too. I mean, you can put anything in there. Put tomatoes. Um, yeah, I, t- for me, I don't put those in, uh, tomatoes mm-hmm. don't work well for me, but tomatoes would be a great addition if they do work for people. But, um, that dressing is unbelievably good. If you, um, are looking for a dressing, dressing that doesn't have bad fats in it and it doesn't have dairy in it. Or sugar. And, yeah, or sugar or any of those other chemicals that you find in salad dressings. So that might be something that people can use. Those are great ideas. When we come back, we'll talk more about food ideas for variety. We'll be back after this break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? 
Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy here with Madeline and Jeannie, and we're talking about everybody's favorite topic, vegetables. Now, a big reason to be having vegetables is because they provide that bitter taste. And that's also a reason that many people don't like vegetables, but it's actually very beneficial to receive that bitter taste. Humans are capable of sensing five basic tastes. Most of us know that. The sweet and the sour, salty, umami, which is roughly translated as savory, and then bitter. And we actually have bitter taste receptors expressed throughout the body. So not only on our tongue, but also throughout our mouth and also in the gastrointestinal tract. So that would be the intestines, in the airway cells, in the respiratory system. So that would be down the esophagus and even in the lungs and on neuroendocrine cells. And those are cells that release hormones. The bitter taste is sensed by these receptors sig- and signal health. So now who when, would ever know that? Yeah, most people would never know that. Yeah, and you would just think that you just have those bitter receptors in your mouth, but it sounds like you've got these great receptors throughout your body and that they're stimulated by this bitter. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. So when you eat the bitter foods, those receptors are stimulated and the receptors signal to to the rest of your body to promote health in different ways, depending on what the receptor is. So, so, so talking about bitter, I was thinking about tea. And tea, is that actually, what is that? A, 
this. That's not, it's that would leaves. Be a plant. So it's, yep. a, it's some kind of plant, but it's not really a vegetable. Right. It's some kind of a plant and that would have phytonutrients and it's bitter. Mm-hmm. And coffee is bitter. Yep. And chocolate is bitter as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, so what would health benefits be for people who eat bitter foods? Well, research has shown that people who eat more bitter foods have lower ba- body mass index, lower BMI, and lower fat mass. So who would imagine that people who eat more bitter foods have less fat on their bodies? People also have improved lipids, so lower triglyceride levels, higher HDL levels, and lower cholesterol overall. And they also have reduced metabolic syndrome, so that means that they're better at handling glucose and insulin, and they're less likely to have diabetes. And also, another interesting one about the bitter foods is that it increases the secretion of HCL, or hydrochloric acid, in your stomach. And that leads to better protein digestion and more nutrient absorption, more mineral absorption like calcium and magnesium, and more vitamin B absorption. So common bitter vegetables would be more of those leafy greens, so arugula and watercress, and those aren't necessarily ones everybody sees on a daily basis, but we want to try and get more of these into our diet. Kale and spinach, collard greens, escarole, endive, and chard. What about dandelion greens? Yeah, those would also be better. And this is the time, at least here, if you're, if you live here in this area, dandelions are just starting to pop up. So you can actually, if you have a nice clean yard without pesticides, you can just get them right there. Yeah, absolutely. And those you can just put right into your salad. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite ways to have those bitter greens is to actually um, put bacon grease on them, kind of like a dressing. Uh, and the, the bacon grease seems to really go well with that bitter taste because I don't particularly love the taste of bitter things, mm-hmm. um, but it, it goes really well with that. Have you have either of you ever done that? Well, I have when I grew up um, and when I was a child, I didn't like vegetables. We had a whole abundance of them and had a big garden. And uh, after dinner, uh, the whole family, we had seven of us kids. We all had to haul out of the house and go down to the garden and weed. And so I was one of those people with kind of a negative experience growing up with um with vegetables, and um, when I look back, it sounds like it was actually kind of an, a fun, exciting life. But as a kid, it didn't; it wasn't very appealing, at least to me, because there were always snakes in that garden and frogs, <laughs> and all of these things were down there. So it just um, and worms everywhere. And uh, but um, anyway, I was talking about the dandelions. My dad would actually dig up a bunch of dandelions and prepare those for a salad. And what what they, my mom and dad used was the bacon grease, but put a little bit, you have to be careful that it's not so hot, but you put some vinegar in there and then some salt. And I think they, they went and put sugar. Like I wouldn't go and put sugar in it now, but I remember they put a little touch of sugar in there. So it kind of made this really, that was actually something I did like as a kid, believe it or not, that um, tasted really good. And the other thing they put in there sometimes was some hard boiled eggs sliced up. Mm. 
Uh-huh. So now you're putting this bacon grease on raw vegetables, is that right? The raw Correct. Greens? Yep, they're raw. So you have to clean the dandelions, wash them, and get them all really nice and dry. And, um, yeah, they weren't cooked, dandelion greens. And I do remember them tasting bitter, but as Madeline was mentioning, when you have that combination with, for somehow with that bacon flavor, it tempers that bitter and it just all really works well together. But just as a caution, if you're using something like bacon fat, be sure that you have the fat from the bacon, the, that the bacon was from pastured pork, and pork that was not given GMO corn or soy. So you want to have, if you're going to be eating bacon grease or bacon, it should be from a nice, good, clean animal that was not eating GMOs or contaminated mm-hmm. with antibiotics or any, any, any of those other things. Yeah. Absolutely. And cooking some of these greens in fat, like bacon grease again, or in coconut oil helps to cut the bitterness. Like kale or collard greens or Swiss chard uh, sautéed in some coconut oil is really tasty. Yeah, we had that in the nutrition class the other night, and people really, really like that, and it was something just so simple. Lucy just cooked some collard greens, and a number of people in the class said, oh my gosh, I've, I've never ever eaten collard greens. And these are people maybe in their 40s and 50s. And so they have had a long time to try those foods, but never have. And Lucy, do you want to just explain to people how you cook those? Because they, they were exceptionally tasty. And there's a little trick here with what you do with the spices and seasonings. Yeah, absolutely. So you use coconut oil and you put some in the pan to start. You have the pan on the stove. Melts the oil and then add your spicy peppers to start. So I usually add cayenne pepper and chili powder right when the oil goes into the pan. And then once the oil is melted, the spices have had a chance to kind of activate and the spiciness changes. So it's more appealing to your palate. Once the oil is melted, you have your chopped up collard greens. And I'll actually back up and say one more thing about the collard greens. Cut out the stems. So just cut off the stems, throw those away, and that's going to cut down on a little bit of the bitterness and then the greens are just chopped up uh, as finely as you want them to be chopped put those all into the oil and you cook them really for just about five minutes so it's a very quick process and it seemed like you only had about a tablespoon or two of oil is that about right yeah, if you have a medium bunch, medium-sized bunch of the collard greens, it's about one or two tablespoons of the coconut oil. And then you add salt as well as they're cooking. And stir them around as they're cooking. Um, coat all of the greens with the coconut oil and the spices. And you're looking for that white, waxy waxiness to disappear. So when the collard greens are raw, there's kind of that white, waxy-looking coating on it. And when the collard greens are done cooking, it's going to be bright green and shiny-looking. And now you know that they're done. So the key there is not to overcook it. Two keys. One key is to add that those spicy seasonings with the oil at the very beginning. And then the second key is not to overcook the collard greens. Because when they get overcooked, they get wilty and soggy, and then most people don't like them that way. 
Yeah, and it's quite amazing from hearing Lucy talk. It might sound like from all those directions that it's really, this is something complicated, but it's actually amazingly simple for people. And the other amazing thing is that how many people like it. We, We don't have anybody that comes to the class when we serve this one anybody who doesn't like this. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the key to getting vegetables to be something that you like is going to be the oils and it's going to be the spices. And once you just play around with some spices and just be a little bit bold with them, you're going to find some great flavor sensations for you. Mm -hmm. And and while we're on that topic, there's a product I wanted to bring up. This is called um, Bragg's Organic Sprinkles. And Bragg is just B-R-A-G-G. It's the brand, and they're called Organic Sprinkles. It's it's a mix of 24 herbs and spices. And this is something that um, a client of ours, she just brought it to the kitchen one day. And actually, I, I didn't know that. We've had it for the last few years. I mean, we've gone through lots of jars of it, but we liked it so much. And um, I just found out it was her, actually, that brought this to us one day. But this is pretty widely available. It's also all organic spices. It's a mix of spices and especially useful for people that don't know a lot about spices and how to mix and match. It just has wide appeal. It's um, it's not a real spicy one, but just some great three-dimensional flavor in here that you can use on vegetables and salads and all kinds of things. Yes, absolutely. And that also allows you to have variety. So if you're getting tired of eating vegetables, then mixing up the oils or mixing up the spices helps you get more variety. Now, before we end the show, I want to touch on one more topic in the subject of vegetables. People often ask us if they should drink vegetable juice or if they should do juicing. Oh, you mean like V8? Well, yeah, like V8 or really getting out their big juicer and juicing up all of their carrots and their celery, and then they have their big glass of vegetable juice every morning. Well, and no, that's not what I hear from people. I hear that they're using things like bananas and pineapples, and um, and then they might just put a little bit of carrot in there. Mm-hmm. And that that's not going to be a good idea. If you're, if you're juicing, you probably want to stick mostly with vegetables and really avoid pretty much all all of the fruit in those. And Madeline, don't you make a good vegetable juice? Yes, I actually do quite a bit of juicing. Um, One of the big reasons why I do juicing is because I have a lot of trouble digesting so many vegetables. And it's hard for me to eat, you know, enough servings of vegetables throughout the day. So juicing helps me get a little bit more of the minerals and the nutrients into my diet. But um, what I like to do is actually use cucumbers and broccoli stems and a little bit of ginger and celery and sometimes cauliflower stems. And those, um, they make a really nice kind of light green juice. And it's pretty watery and it's pretty mellow. And if you put the ginger in, you do want to be kind of careful with how much you put in. I just made some the other day and it was way too spicy. Um, But that's something that can make it taste a lot more fun with the ginger. Now, I did try putting bell peppers in yesterday for the first time and Mm. it was probably the best juice I've ever had in my life. But you do have to know that bell peppers hardly produce any juice at all so um, they don't you have to use really a lot of them and that can be a little bit expensive 
whenever you're doing this vegetable juicing, for sure, choose more watery, robust vegetables. So if you're, you're using spinach, you know, that is so small. And you can imagine there's not really a whole lot to spinach. So you might end up using an entire bag of spinach and only get like maybe a tablespoon or two tablespoons of juice out of that. And there's nothing wrong with that if you have the spinach or you have the drier vegetables that you'd like to just put in there, but it may not be as um, productive to use those. So think so think about cucumbers. They're almost all water, so you're not wasting a whole lot of material. Um, same thing with celery, really a lot of water in there. Broccoli stems, most people don't even like to eat their broccoli stems, so you put those in there and now you've just used something that maybe you would have thrown away. Same thing with um, cauliflower stems. Um, And then as for like more of the green leafy vegetables, kale seems to do pretty well with juicing. I think it must be the stem in there that has some water. Um, So maybe if you even don't eat your kale stems normally, save those for your juice. And then there's beets. Um, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about beets because beets can be pretty high in sugar when you juice those. But beets are also a pretty rare food to eat. Not a whole lot of people eat beets on a daily basis. And they do taste really good in juice, and in my opinion at least. So if you're going to use beets, just use a little bit. Like the other day I chose the smallest beet that I could find at the store. It was probably um, the, like half the size of my fist. And that was for about like three or four servings of juice total. Like there were a whole bunch of other vegetables in there with it. Um, same thing with carrots. Carrots can be a little bit sweet and sugary. So you might want to limit your use of carrots. But, you know, it looks like we're coming to an end with the show. Yes, it is time to wrap up. Check out all of our fabulous rep- recipes on our blog at mybodybalancenutrition.com and tell your friends and family about the recipes and about the radio show and send us your comments and questions. I'm Lucy along with Jeannie and Madeline. And that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Join Jeannie, Lucy, and Madeline for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.